Ryan Grossenko here welcoming you to another episode of the Exit 142 podcast presented by Bitter Creek Outdoors. It's been a minute uh, since we've had one of these, so just want to remind you, these podcasts are uh, raw, unfiltered, with very little any editing. Uh, today's guest is Scott Reekers of Eastman's Journal, part two with Scott. Uh, we talk everything going on in his world, uh, what Eastman's is doing to make sure you're successful in the field, whether that's gear uh, or new, the Tag Hub 2.0. This episode and all episodes are brought to you by Monster Buck Coffee. Feel your mornings uh, with their Buck Fever blend or even Red Desert Roast. I know I'm super excited to have these guys on as the show sponsor, uh, a Wyoming company, uh, a literally ma and pa shop. Um, their joy for a coffee. Um, they're bringing it to Southwest Wyoming based out of Rock Springs. So uh, with that, use the promo code BCREEK at monsterbuttcoffee.com backslash BCO, and you'll get 10% off uh, your next order. Right now, I'm rocking the, the Sagebrush Bold. Uh, this is a great blend, and it really gets my mornings going. So whether you're uh, chasing that big buck in the high country, or you know maybe going fishing, or just on your way to work, uh, there is a blend uh, for you uh, at monsterbuttcoffee.com. So with that, I'm just really rambling on, but let's get into uh, this episode. Scott, welcome back. Part two. Heck, it's been about four months since we talked. A lot has happened in your world. Uh, thank you for hopping on the podcast and good to see you. Hey, thanks for having me back. A lot has happened, but you know, it's, you know, winter uh, 22, 23 was one for the books. That's for certain. And, uh, you know, I think we'll talk a little bit about that. Talk about some things going on in Eastman's world. I know you've had a, a, a big project on your hands that, oh, yeah. you know, uh, I've been fortunate enough to, uh, to look at mess with, you know, the last couple of weeks, especially heck, it's been longer than that, but you know, Hey, let's talk about, you know, last podcast, we talked about tag hub, uh, the first version of tag hub. And now recently, I guess not recently, probably within like the last month or so, Tag yep. Hub 2.0 is out. You know, do you want to talk a little bit about that? And I have it pulled up right here. So, you know, I can talk, you know, just messing around with it. So. <laughs> okay. So Tag Hub 2.0, the number one thing we heard about 1.0 was that it was hard to use. And we kind of knew that when we launched um, 1.0 because we, we said that we were really going to try and do a good job for the date, like the hunting data nerds. And after we started getting into it, we realized there are a lot of guys who were just, they're just looking for opportunities. They weren't necessarily hunting data nerds. And, you know, I can, I can firmly attest that we've got just about every hunting data nerd subscribed because they call and talk to me pretty regularly uh, about the Western hunting data. So now we said, okay, how do we keep that high level quality data, but also put it in an even more user-friendly platform. But then also one of the other things we heard is, man, when are you guys going to make it a little more mobile friendly? Well, we sat and brainstormed and we did, we did a lot of testing, a lot of asking questions, a lot of asking questions of our current subscribers. And the consensus we heard was that everybody wanted it to work inside some form of an app. They didn't really want it to be web-based. They wanted to be able to access some level of information in the field. And so we, we started working on when we started working with 2.0, we said, okay, what, what does that look like? And a, you know, a brand reached out to us called Spartan Forge and they said, Hey, 
I, we think we can build this for you and we can make it show up inside the free Spartan Forge app. Um, if somebody were to subscribe to Tag Hub, they can actually see it inside the Spartan Forge app. That's coming this month. We haven't gotten that launched yet, but that's next. But it's coming. So um, get the get the free Spartan Forge app because that will, you know, it's a good it's a good thing to be able to be able to see it. So what we did is we took the most essential data um, that we think people are going to want to see in the field. And we're open to suggestion. We can add more over the course of time or take away, um, depending on what, basically what the user tells us. You know, we exist to make Western hunters better hunters. And with that in mind, we can work on the data and, and make it a little bit, di bit different there inside the mobile app. But it will be, you'll be, one of the coolest things you'll be able to do is inside the mobile app, you'll be able to see all your pins as far as, so when you're like, you say you're in the field and doing navigation, you'll be able to see your pins that you place there or any pin you place during research, you'll be able to see it in the field. No one has been able to combine all of the research and all of the navigation. We're, we're the, we're the first to market to be able to do that. So that's a really cool feature to be able to um, pair your research in the field work. Um, but now we've added 3d mapping. A lot of people have been asking for that. Um, there's also going to be um, a, a lot more, uh, a lot, I'll call it a lot more pleasing visual display with the way that it looks. It's, it's much more, um, much more integrated into, into the look and feel. The user interface is much better for the end user, no matter what. Um, I've had guys who've told me that, hey, this was way, it was, it's so much easier to use already than Tag Up 1.0. I mean, I loved 1.0, but even me knowing a lot of the data and being able to figure out seasons and things like that, um, sometimes it was tough. Like that, and the other thing was I couldn't ever display an entire map with all the seasons or, or all the areas. It, it was based 100% on the season dates. And with this system, we were, were we figured out how to. I'll just use since this is a Wyoming podcast, I'll use this as an example. You know, there are some areas where you have a type one tag, a type two tag, type four, type five, type six, type seven, and a type nine. You know, I, I'm thinking of one hunt in uh, in particular up here in the Bighorns that's like that um, for elk. And so, because of that, how do you display all those hunts? Well, we figured out how to do that. Where you can click on the unit. And then you can pop the data out even further. And so you can start looking at what are the odds, you know, for, you know, we're talking mostly Wyoming residents here with this. So what are your odds as a Wyoming resident to be able to draw that particular hunt? Um, you know, and so, and, and if you're a diehard archery guy, you're going to like it because it's going to show you those odds. It's also going to give you archery specific odds for those type nine hunts. Um, so you can see, you can also see like, what are the, what's the success ratio for, you know, for an archery hunt there. Um, and it's it's a it's a really cool uh, it's really cool to be able to put that in the hands of, of our subscribers and our users because that's a tool that they've been asking for for a while. Being able to tie all those things together, um, it's it's really coming full circle with all the technology that we've been able to use um, because there's a there's a line where you're like, how much does like I've always struggled with? Okay, at what point does technology like? Is it crossing a line and we're not like going back to like a primitive way uh, of doing this? And I started, you know, started kind of thinking about that. And that's a hard line to get through. But adding all this technology is actually I think it's a good thing for hunters, because now with these nav the navigation tools that we have, 
people are able to see where they're at. They're able to, you know, you can download like any of these navigation apps, you can download tiles and things like that and being able to be, be safer in the back country. That's one of those things like no matter what this navigation and being able to, to move around in the back country, but also do your research ahead of time, really understand where, what, how you're planning on going in somewhere and not stepping onto um, private land. Um, that's something that's coming inside um, inside the app is the BLM. Um, they've got Forest Service and Wilderness already inside Spartan Forge, but the BLM, um, Bureau of Rec, other various types of um, public land are going to be available into the near future. So um, that's coming. I just saw an iteration of that the other day. So they're, they're working on that as far as the tech team goes. Um, they're, you know, feverishly pushing to get that done. Um, so I'm excited. I'm excited for, you know, the next, next month or so we'll get the, um, get it all coordinated with the mobile app. And I'm, I, I'm just beyond excited to be able to share that with everyone for the people to be able to see, Oh, this is how, this is how it looks inside, inside there. And these are all the things that, um, you know, I was, I was talking about and the user interface on mobile is going to be completely different than the web base that we've been, been using. Um, but you know, you have to download the free Spartan Forge app to be able to use that, but that's why it's free. You know, you'll be able to see a lot that's in there for free already. And then, um, and, you know, with the tag of subscription, you'll be able to get, be able to look at all of that, all that data and see all the hunt units here out West. So it's a pretty big deal. Yeah, Scott, I think, you know, Talking from the first, you know, podcast, you know, really what, you know, Eastman's is all about is, you know, helping that Western hunter. And, you know, I think we, we've talked a little bit about, you know, Tag Hub 2.0 and, you know, the resources, you know, you, you just talked about Wyoming, you know, yeah, we are a Wyoming podcast, but the amount of Western states that are on there where, you know, is, if you're like me, who's, you know, strictly in Wyoming and only hunted Wyoming, hey, I want to do a Utah hunt, you know, this next year or yep. the Colorado hunt or a Nevada Nevada hunt. This, I mean, this resource is for anybody listening to this yep. podcast. You know, if you're listening in New York City, you want to come hunting, hunting out West, you know, Tag Hub 2.0 is there. And I mean, you went yep. through everything, but, you know, just me messing around with it. I see a, a bow behind you, but I mean, exactly. I can see when the archery, yep. you know, elk tags are, I can see when, you know, what deer tags and, you know, for me, it's just, it's so interactive and, you know, yep. I know we've talked, we'll talk a little bit more, you know, about some tags that we drew, but, you know, me looking at my hunt area, it's like, holy cow, you know, this is a massive area, you know, and now, uh, now I can add in, you know, navigation to it. I can add in, oh, you know, hey, these are, you know, the, you know, there's weather on there. There's, I mean, there's so much to this app where it's like, I don't think a podcast does it justice. I mean, you guys have put yeah. so much detail in and really getting the sus- subscriber and hunter's perspective. Like for somebody to understand this app, to understand it is, yeah. hey, go be a subscriber, go get it understand it i mean this is going to be a huge resource and you know with the app coming out in the field too you know my brother and i were out in the sand dunes of wyoming and at some point it's like huh where are we we're on the wrong you know blm road or whatever it is you know so i think what you guys are doing tag hub uh 2.0 um it's gonna be very exciting with the you know the app coming out hopefully you know (laughs) as you said in the next month or so so um, you know, and, and again, I just want to stress the importance of, you know, hey, you could do that pre-scouting ahead of time yeah. with this app and, you know, decide yes. where you want to hunt, where you want to put in. Like you said, yep. it has all that data at literally the fingertips, fingertips. Yep. yep. It's literally at your fingertips. And the, like, I, I will be the first proponent to say there is no substitute for on the on the ground boots on scouting. Um, that is one of the most important things you can do. 
um, is do that. Like, um, you know, full disclosure, you know, before we even get, uh, I know we're probably going to get into a article I wrote that may have blown up uh, Western Wyoming uh, a little bit, but you know, I drew, I drew a late season deer tag this year. Um, there have been years I haven't even put in for a tag, but part of what I'm doing right now is I've spent the last month, um, because there are some sections of this, this hunt that I drew that have a lot of private land in it. Um, I shouldn't say a lot of private land. It's a vast majority public land, but I also need to know where I can and can't cross private land. Um, only way I'm going to do that is is some boots on the ground scouting. And actually, sometimes it's going to be knocking on the door. Sometimes if I can find their phone number, I'll look it up. Um, so it's a it's a it's a good thing to do um, and, and know and spend that time there. And so I really need to. I'm one of the biggest things I am I'm e scouting is I am e scouting a lot of drainages um, because it's a late season tag. Um, late season any deer tag. It's not just uh, mule deer. It's a mule deer and whitetail tag. Um, but because I drew that, I'm going to be looking at a lot of drainages. Where are those bucks going to be moving to go find find the does? You know, that's that's what you're looking for in a rut hunt is you're looking for travel corridors and groups of does. Um, and you want to check them every single day kind of deal. And so I want to know where they're going to be um, and, and what they're going to be doing all the time. That's the most important thing I can um, I can possibly do with that. And, you know, knowing ahead of time all the roads that I'm going to be looking at, all the, you know, whether it's a two-track road or whether it's a, you know, a county road or anything like that, I need to know those things. And that's where e-scouting can really give you a good perspective. And sometimes there are roads you can't see that you can see on, on your mapping and you can figure out, okay, that's actually there. Um, and that's legal for me to be on, um, which is important too, um, to, to understand that. So that boots on the ground, um, boots on the ground scouting can't be replaced. Even if you draw a tag, um, and have something that you're going to be looking into there. Um, it's, you can't just because you draw a good tag does not mean that there isn't work to do it. And I'll be real honest. I don't know if this late season tag is going to be any good. It was kind of a hail Mary attempt. Um, so we'll see whether it is or not. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm excited about it, you know, obviously to see what, what I could actually find, um, in that area, but I don't know if, um, I don't know how it's going to play out because if I don't have snow, you know, for a late season tag, that may, may dictate how things go too. Um, but again, part of that is the scouting, how I understand exactly where and how it's supposed to work, which is, which is an important piece of the equation. Yeah, and I think, you know, you brought it up earlier, you know, the technology is coming into, you know, hunting and, and heck, even in fishing to some extent, you know, where is public access? And I think, you know, uh, like you said, you know, being outside and just seeing, you know, seeing the habits, the tendencies of these yep. animals is, is important. But you can do a lot of your, you know, get an idea of, hey, I want to go check this out. You know, you can do a lot of that pre-scouting. Um, you know, here with Tag Hub 2.0. So I'm yep. excited um, that you mentioned, you know, the tags that you uh, that you drew. Uh, let's lead into, you know, that, you know, Tag Hub 2.0 mm -hmm. kind of gives you that idea of, hey, these are the tags yep. in Wyoming, in Nevada, in wherever you're hunting. Um, what what kind of, I know we'll talk a little bit more about your article that you wrote, which is a phenomenal article. Uh, if you haven't read it, uh, go look up Scott Reekers. I believe it's on your Facebook page. It's on Eastman's. Yep. It's everywhere. Um, but yeah, let's talk a little bit about what your idea was, what your plan was you know, after the winter, uh, what was your idea of hunting this fall? So what I did this year is, um, I, you know, I love, I, I love hunting region G and H. Okay. Just, um, just, you know, full transparency. I've hunted there since I was a kid. Um, but you know, 
every time we looked at this this winter, it it progressively got worse. Um, and with it progressively getting worse, I wanted to make sure that you know I understood the ramifications of what was going on. Um, with that in mind, um, you know, I kind of made a decision that even if I hunted over there, I wasn't going to kill anything. Um, and then I started, I started thinking about it more too, like, especially when, you know, like the numbers and bear in mind, like in the article I wrote, I understand what a cohort is. Um, you know, it, it, in, and so, you know, when we talk about an 80% of adults, adult deer in a cohort died, that was 80% of the collared deer died. That doesn't necessarily mean that a correlate to 100% that 80% across the board died. However, the explaining that in a public forum, I understand why director Nesvik didn't try and explain that in a public forum. Um, so he used that 80% number, and that's the number that gets thrown around a lot. So I use those round numbers um, to really, you know, to really talk, look at, you know, how is that going to affect my season? If 80% of the adult deer in that, that were collared in that cohort were dead, that's a pretty big deal. And, it, it, you know, there may be pockets where that wasn't the case and, and that's that sort of thing, but... I just looked at it from the perspective of, you know, that deer herd, it goes through ups and downs. It, it does. You can look at its population swings. You can find, you know, a little bit of Google searching. You can find the um, the rises and falls. Uh, the last really tough winter we had was the winter of 1718. Um, I killed a big buck in, in the fall of 18. You know, it's one of my better ones. It's one that I can I actually film together. Um, and it, it was a lot of fun to go do that hunt, but, you know, even then I saw missing age classes and, um, you know, so I, I kind of consciously said that, you know, I've, there have been some other, like, there are some other areas around here in Wyoming that I really wanted to go scout. Um, I know that there are big deer in other areas and it may be a little bit harder hunt, um, maybe a little bit different hunt than what I'm used to, but I was going to go um, I probably wasn't going to go over there and it really got cemented by the time April rolled around and where I was really looking at my hunting applications where I said, you know what, I'm not hunting G or H this year. I'll go back and scout next year. And I'm going to kind of see, get the lay of the land. And I'm sure there are going to be some big deer that are killed there. Um, but one of the things that really cemented that for me was that, you know, we all like, I've got you know, there are pictures that are older than me that Mike Eastman took of bachelor groups of bucks. And one of the things that happens is somewhere around, you know, somewhere when a, when a young buck leaves that, that fork horn phase, they, they tend to peel off and start going with the other bucks and they start picking up the habits of, you know, those older, more mature deer. You know, and you could, anyone who's scouted the high country has seen this, you know, you don't see very many does in the high country. It's just, there's a reason for it. The does have their places that are nurseries. Like I had, uh, I had biologists a long time ago, you know, call an area. Like I ran into them on my way out. I was going to pick up a buddy at the trailhead, you know, cause I was young and dumb. And in my, you know, in my twenties, I thought, huh, I can hike from the top of the 10,000 foot peak and meet him down the trailhead and be back in time. for We made, made it back, back. But, but it started, <laughs> started snowing on us and we didn't actually get the hunt. But talking with that biologist, he, um, 
he he called one particular area. I was like, yeah, I only ever see does in that area. And he was like, oh yeah, that's a nursery, definitely a nursery. And I was like, good to know. And so I, I you know, we we found bucks other places. And we found we found some bucks at like the cliffy end of that area, but we never actually found them. You know, in the areas that you thought, oh, there should be deer there. No, we found a lot of does. Um, and so the bachelor groups develop, and one of the things that I struggle with is that you lose generational knowledge on migrations if you if you hammer the bucks. And I know the emphasis right now is on 100% on the um, on does, and I get it. Does does produce fawns? Does produce the numbers? Okay, like I, I've had these conversations with many people who understand mule deer far far more than I do, but. Western Wyoming is renowned for its ability to produce very big bucks. Um, reason G, H, and K even, for instance, um, produce a lot of big deer. And they do that consistently because the habitat is really good, but also because the migration corridors stay protected. But the one piece that, that I look at that we don't talk about enough is the generational knowledge that those deer pass on. Um, and so be a i know for a fact i've watched it i have watched i've hunted bucks that i watched the year before um and i knew where where they lived and how they lived and why they lived in those certain spots and they passed that on to younger bucks and those that hey these are quote unquote bucky places they figure that out because they learned it from somebody else or from another buck and so um you know that that affected my that affected my application season and strategy for that reason, um, in that I wasn't going to bank on that. I was going to go search out other areas where I could hunt for big deer. Um, it was going to be hard because I I wasn't going to change my standard on what I would kill for a big mule deer. Um, and you know, I know everybody. Sometimes there are areas that just they just don't produce many big many deer bigger than 170. I I know there are spots like that. There's a lot of places in Montana that are like that. Um, and it's just, it's a genetics, genetics type of deal, you know? So what, but I'm, I said I was going to do that. And then I, I applied for an area that was far away, you know? Um, and so I, I drew it, you know, so full disclosure and also full disclosure, I was three quarters of the way done with my article before, um, like, cause like just full disclosure before I said I was, you know, why I won't hunt region G or H this year. Um, you know, so nobody wants to hammer me over that deal. They, they can't, you know, they can, you know, message me on Instagram. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the timeline. I've got the proof in Google, um, for when I, when I completed that article. Um, and you know, oddly enough, like I'm excited about this hunt, but I'm going to miss the high country this year. Like, you know, Western Wyoming high country quite a bit. Um, but that was why I changed, you know, changed my plans is that, you know, it's going to take a lot of us being very conservative and not pulling the trigger on deer that we would normally shoot to give them another year of generate passing on generational knowledge, um, as well as, you know, watching, um, you know, being good stewards. And that's why in that article I listed out, these are all the things I think that could, that could help. Um, some people messaged me, told me I was stupid. Other people were like, man, I love that article or love that article. Um, one of the biggest things that, that we can do is, the the overpasses and underpasses um that that initiative that we have 
um, to be able to buy the license plates or even make a donation. If you're listening to this podcast, please make a donation to those license plates. Um, you know, I don't have one on every one of my cars, but we do about 60 bucks every time that every time we renew, um, just because that's one of our ways of contributing to that. But being able to protect those does and fawns crossing the highways is going to be a massive game changer because I did the math one time and it, I believe it's almost four to five percent of the population gets hammered on the roads. And the vast majority of those are does, uh, does and fawns. And so if you protect just just even half of that, think of the recruitment rate that goes up. You know, when you when you think about um, what happens there, you know, quote, uh, you know, you know, quote, one of the biologists I heard in, in over there in that region, he said, well, there's your doe season. You know, that's why there are no doe fawn tags over there is that, you know, we can't afford to lose any more than what are killed on the road. Um, especially during the winter. So, you know, that was one of the things I also, you know, one of the more controversial things, I'd be curious to hear what you think about it, um, is I kind of proposed a a limited quota season of sorts um, there. And the only reason I, the only reason I'm a proponent of that, and I, I, I understand the full implications that if we go to limited quota, we're probably not getting the general season back. But if you do the math on the number of tags that would be available for residents, um, we'd be hunting plenty often, you know, just to be, you know, just to be brutally honest, because there's going to be a lot more people drawing tags rather than just draw, you know, going to the store and buying them. Um, but my reasoning for it is spreading out the pressure. Pressure on animals is, is a hard deal. And so if you can spread out the pressure, especially now, one of the things that we don't talk about enough is that there are a lot more guys doing archery hunting, especially after elk, because um, believe it or not, the elk population in GRH is 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 higher than what it's historically been, but it's lower now than what it was about seven to ten years ago. Um, they, they issued enough cow tags to be able to get that under control in a lot of those areas. But that that said, there's a lot of people chasing those elk two weeks earlier than what they ever what there were, what there used to be, as far as the number of um, of general deer hunters, then you got on top of that. They keep going. You know, there's I I know guys who they don't go into the high country to hunt mule deer at all. They just chase elk all September with their bow, which is fine. But that's 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 pressure that that those those bucks feel on a regular basis. So that was my logic in the limited quota is spread that pressure out. Um, hunter days might go down a little bit. Um, I, I don't know if it would be much, but you're going to cycle. You're going to cycle a lot of people through that limited quota system. If everyone's worried about being fair, we do not need to go to a point system. Most states out there are trying to figure out how to get out of their point system, but you just do a waiting list. You know, if you draw an archery tag, you got to wait a year to draw another archery tag. You put it for the rifle tag the next year, but you cannot go archery hunting. You know, you do just do, and that what that does is that that takes a like depending on how it works, it's usually an eight to fifteen percent um, odds increase on each of those those hunts, you know. So, um, so it makes it, but you still give people an opportunity to go hunt hunt mule deer in September with a rifle, um, and then you have a little bit later hunt, like October fifth to the fifteenth. That's a little bit harder hunt, um, and then you you and but you offer more opportunity to them because the bucks are all hard horned, they're a lot more timbered up, um, so you can. You can really you can really cycle people through, and there will be big bucks that are killed. You know, look at Colorado's uh, second season. Um, historically, when that second season ran, and you can see that that there are a lot of big bucks that were killed in the historical second season. Um, 
So, you know, that's probably what I said that was the most controversial in there because Wyoming residents aren't, aren't – they don't deal well with the idea of limited quota. Quite frankly, I don't either. Um, but you have to do what's best for the resource. And if we don't actually talk about what's best for the resource, even the hard subjects, um, I – you know, it, it just makes it, 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 I just don't see it as being a, um, being a healthy conversation. So real quick, I mean, I, I like the, the, the pressure, right. You know, yeah. um, my brother and I were out last night scouting for elk and, you know, we brought up another a pressure point is, you know, shed hunting too, you know, um, you know, my brother said, you know, there, that's a lot of pressure on those animals as well. If, you know, everybody and their dog goes shed hunting, you know, everybody's out there putting pressure on, you know, those animals and, you know, to, to your point, you know, I like spreading out the hunt. I, I think Colorado does very similar to, you know, spacing out the hunts. And, yes, yes. you know, I think doing that, you know, whatever we can do as humans, as, as we put enough pressure on these animals already, you know, whether it's deer, elk, whatever it might be, sage grouse, you name it. You know, I think just, you know, like you said, spacing it out, you know, making it make no, sense no. and just spreading out when we're hunting. And, you know, my brother, I don't, I, I, we didn't talk much about it, but, you know, getting a license for shed hunting maybe, you know, or whatever it might be to help reduce this pressure on, on these animals, you know? And so, you know, I, I really do like the idea, you know, my brother and I talked about, you know, general hunting, you know, around rock Springs, you know, there's the sands deer tag is, you know, basically all 131, I believe it is, um, is all general. And, you know, we talked about, you know, what, it, I don't know if the state would do this, um, you know, just because of this, the way they are, but what if it's years of, Hey, you know, they're closing off this general area for hunters in this area and yeah. you know, opening up this one and, you know, alternating that. So I think I'm for, you know, to your point of, you know, limiting, you know, to limited quoted, basically general hunt tag. You know, I think I'm for it uh, just to help with that, you know, that pressure, you know, in Wyoming, I do like going over the counter, buying that. And it's like, all right, let's go, let's go up, up by Pindle for elk or deer or whatever it might be. You know, I do like that, yeah. but I think, you know, at the end of the day as, as outdoorsmen, as, you know, people, conservationists, hunters, whatever it is, you know, if, for generations to enjoy this, uh, you know, I think we have to do the right thing. And you, you hit it on the head for us, for there to be change or for something to happen. We have to have the hard conversations. We have to have the you yep. know, talks with whoever. And so, you know, I, I like that you brought it up. I'm going to, uh, after the podcast, when we post this, make sure that your article is on there as well. So people can get caught up, but you know, it, it's crazy to think, you know, uh, the thought that goes into hunting, you know, like that was your thought around going, you know, Hey, let's put it off for this year. You know, I was, I, I've just always put in for the same areas and, you know, got the one Oh two deer tag that I yep. told you about. And so, you know, it's just, but also seeing, you know, being down there quite a bit is, you know, how do we put less pressure? You know, I'm at the point, it's like, all right, I've been down there enough. You know, let's try to get the trucks off the road and just let these animals, wow. you know, eat up all the grass and everything. And, you know, you brought up speaking of trucks and cars and everything, the overpasses, and underpasses, you know, we're talking about Western Wyoming. So basically, uh, US 191, US 189, those are the big ones. Um, but, yep. you know, the state of Wyoming is looking at I-80 as well. You know, I-80 is a huge yep. thing of, you look at the migration corridor, a lot of these deer mm -hmm. antelope are stopping at I-80. You know, what What could happen if, you know, they go, they can go up and over or underneath I-80, you know, what can, yep. uh, can be done. And so I have my conservation uh, license plate on my truck. You know, I think that's a great way to help out these projects, get the funding. Um, it always feels like somebody, some group out there is trying to get more money for those underpasses and overpasses. So yeah. Scott, it was a great, it was a great article, but yeah. Is there any other, uh, hunting tags other than deer that you're doing this fall? So, um, I've been putting in for a few years in Montana. Um, and I've got an opportunity to go with a, um, longtime outfitter friend of, of, of Eastman's go, go to one of his, um, his hunts. And, 
Um, I actually got to uh, pull the old bow out um, and do that. I, I honestly, it's been about five years since I really put any effort into my bow. Um, but now I'm, you know, I, I, I'm comfortable, you know, I, I've stretched it out a little bit and, um, you know, been shooting every single night, actually, um, just to make sure that I'm prepared for this hunt. It's going well. Um, so I'm excited about it. That'll be a fun hunt. It's actually, you know, it's whitetail emphasis, but if a mule deer comes underneath the stand that I, I would want to shoot, we'll, we'll do that. Um, but it is, it'll be fairly, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be a little different than what I'm used to. It's going to require a lot of patience. Um, you know, I, I'm used to being able to, you know, glass, change location, glass, change location, all, all that good stuff. Now, this is going to be one where we, we sit there, um, you know, make sure all your food is unwrapped ahead of time, you know, and, and that sort of thing. So you're not making all kinds of noise and, you know, all, all sorts of things like that. So um, it's, it's going to be fun, though. I'm really excited for that hunt. Then I've got, um, then I've got, like I said, my deer hunt, which will be later. I'm, I'm going to do a general elk hunt somewhere. I don't know where yet. We'll see what happens. Um, that's one where my dad and I usually go and we, you know, I, I do a lot of walking with a rifle on that one. Um, just if, if we go to the same spot that we normally do, but I've also got a cow tag uh, um, that I'm, that I'm going to use and it, it should be good. That won't be, uh, you know, that I got them figured out in this area last year, so I'll go back this year and I should have some success. It should only take me three or four days um, to find them if there's snow. If there's not snow, well, then I'm going to have to relearn, you know, relearn habits and behaviors 100% again. Um, but then I've also got um, I've also got a Type Three tag, um, and it's a it's a it's a very checkerboarded area where I'm going to go do that. But I've got some friends over in that area who who have some connections to like walk through some private lands to go to some public. Um, so that should be a really fun hunt. Um, I have no idea. I have zero expectations. Um, I'm probably going to shoot a little whitetail like this. Um, I may, you know, we'll see it, it. I'll be going late enough where I might rattle, um, try that out. Like I've not done a lot of rattling, but it should be fun to go do that. So I've got a pretty jam packed season to be, you know, be 100% honest, but I'm, I'm excited and ready for it. Yeah, it sounds like you got a busy fall ahead of you into the winter months. Are, are you going to be on camera at all? Any of those hunts to be recorded? Sounds like you're going to be um, uh, pretty fun. The Montana, the Montana hunt, hunt. I, I will be. Um, the I'm going to be I'm going to be camera guy first. We'll put all of our effort into getting Brandon's tag filled. Then we'll work on mine. Um, but you know, I'll have the opportunity to go back to Montana. That's part of the reason I'm leaving October fairly open is I can go back there if I haven't filled um, filled that tag. So I'll make it work. Um, either way, but it'll be good hunt. I'm, I'm excited for what I'm going to be doing there. Um, it'll be, it's, I, I'm actually probably the most excited about my Montana hunt just cause it's going to be different. It's going to be something that I'm not used to. Um, I'm not used to coming back from a hunt and, uh, you know, the body falling apart cause I'm, you know, taking a week to recover and heal and, you know, before I can go back out again. So that's going to be a little bit different be able to, you know, like, climb up in a tree stand get your harness on and call it a day i'm not not used to not gonna be used to that by any stretch but um we'll see i'm supposed to from the outfitter uh, i'm supposed to be getting um some trail cam pictures here in the next little while he's putting them out to really start looking at what the horn growth actually is and get brandon and i's expectations right for what's there um which would be good you know that that always 
having the right expectation kills itchy trigger finger, um, you know, and so that's that's a fairly big deal. So you know, it'll be it'll be good. Um, I I just bought points in Nevada this year because I knew my, I knew I was going to have Montana. This is another little plug for tag hub. If you're building points, you got to actually like your worst nightmare is if you draw uh, in multiple states a really good hunt. Can you imagine if you had drawn your tag, your deer tag, but then also had a second or third season deer tag in Colorado by accident? Oh man, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't know what to do. I mean, it'd, it'd be, it'd be awesome, you know, it, it would yeah. be. But you know, chances are you'd be looking at a at turning one back in, and that's not nobody wants to do that, you know. And so this, you know, it's a tool that helps you plan and plan accordingly, knowing your odds. Um, makes a big difference too. Um, and so, you know, and granted Colorado versus Wyoming is kind of a little far-fetched because Colorado's draw is, is well before Wyoming. So you'd be able to plan accordingly. Um, but that's just the the nature of the beast is you want to plan the right way. Um, you know, cause Nevada, Nevada goes through your entire application per species before it moves on to the next person. So if you got a boatload of points, you better try for all the hard hunts, you know, it's just the the way that that works and it's still 100% random. Um, so that's why I, that's why I didn't, uh, um, didn't apply in Nevada, just bought points. Um, I'm building points in South Dakota too. Um, it's, it's actually a lot harder to draw there than people realize. Um, but I'm, I'm still building points there for fun because I want to go over and, you know, I, at some point I'll probably, I'd like to kill a Black Hills mule deer over there for fun. Like I'd like to kill one on the Wyoming side or not a Black Hills mule deer, Black Hills whitetail on, on, on both sides of the border, you know, be able to have said that I did that. So that's a, you know, that's kind of an opportunity that I'm, that I'm looking forward to doing. So, but you got to play the game. If you want to have a chance, you got to play the game. So I'm glad you brought that up for tag hub is, you know, like you said, the odds are out there um, for everywhere, for every species, for whatever you're hunting. And, you know, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, listening about the whole process. And, and people in Wyoming, especially the, you know, the residents of Wyoming are pretty fortunate of, you know, their hunting privileges. And I get, you know, what we talked about taking some of that away. But, you know, I think you know, Wyoming is pretty good compared to some other states. And yep. you know, it's crazy. It's crazy to just look at all the information. And, you know, I think that's a great resource is, you know, tag up to, you know, hey, what can I do? in this state compared to that state and you know yep. that process so yeah yeah and and i had you know before, before i started working here i had started doing some looking at non-resident opportunity but i hadn't looked like so in depth where i was like oh man i just, I just gotta jump you know jump off and, and and do you know start doing this um you know part of me wishes i had but i'm also kind of glad that i didn't because if i had started like i'll use colorado as an example if i had been applying for points, you know, uh, in Colorado, say, say 15 years ago, I've been here, been here 10. Um, the problem that I would have is that 15 points is kind of no man's land in Colorado. You can draw some good hunts, but every year point creep goes up a little bit more. So something that would have taken 15 points, say three years ago, now takes 17. Well, I would constantly be chasing that. And so part of what's driving that though is the guys that have 15 points realize they better apply for something like that at 12 last year and a whole bunch of them do it, you know? Yeah. So I've listened yeah. to a couple of podcasts talking about no man's lance with some priority points and everything in different States. And some guys are like, just burn them. Like you can have some really good hunts depending on, you know, 
what areas yeah. and you know where you're going so you know this chatter gets me as you can see as you're talking about your hunts and you know gets me all excited and excited for this fall and you know i think you know you, you mentioned it earlier in the podcast you know being the boots on the ground I, I i tell my brother this every time we go out and just drive around looking you know walk around glass whatever it is like there's nothing that beats being outside looking for animals yeah. and just you know from a distance you know you don't need to be right up in them but you know up in their space and everything but just watching from a distance and just you know it's so yeah. crazy the other night we were just scouting just down in my deer area and it's just like wow it's like look at those like i was just like i don't know what it was i was just kind of taken away it's like you know look at those animals look what they're doing you know just it, it's really beautiful and honestly it is it's just so crazy to see you know those animals doing their everyday thing and so you know i'm all excited it sounds like your fall is gonna be busy um you know my yeah. brother my brother has a, a 100 type one bull tag here in Wyoming. So we're going to have a busy fall as well. Um, so yeah, I, you know, it's been about 95 degrees. I'm waiting for some cooler temperatures around the corner, you know, yep. fall days in Wyoming are the best, but, uh, heck man, I, I know you're talking about, you know, some of the you know high country and everything we wanted to talk about at the last podcast and I'm not going to forget it. Is there any equipment, you know, you're mm. talking about going out trail cams, um, you know, my brother and I talk, always talk about satellite communicators, especially for our mom. You know, yep. our mom gets very worried. Where are you? You know, is there anything you know that you, <laughs> you know on that you think? Hey, you know, this fall, if you're going out doing X, Y, Z, is there any equipment mm-hmm. um, that you recommend uh, for any? I mean, the average hunter, yeah. the best, you know, the experienced hunter. Is there? Yeah, what is it? So, um, I mean, if you're if you're going to be in the backcountry for an extended period of time, like outside of cell service. Um, I would highly recommend the Zolio um, or an inReach. Uh, we've got we're about 50-50 with our, our staff in the office that uses those. I personally I use the Zolio. Like I bought it myself. Um, this wasn't like a uh, um, you know a sponsorship deal or anything like that. I bought it myself, um, and I you know I connected it. My wife and I actually just used it this weekend. Um, we we connected her phone to it because she was going to be at the camping spot before me so she communicated that she arrived there got the kids there all safe before i left work and headed up so there's you know i i firmly believe it i, I trusted my family's safety to being able to communicate with it um, and, the, and their their plans are affordable i and the cool part about zolio is that you can deactivate it in the months you're not using it so I just activated it again. Like I literally got on my phone, reactivated the account. We connected it to her app. Um, I disconnected mine so that she could do that. Um, that is one thing you got to, if you want to be able to do in-app messaging, you will have to have two of the devices. Um, if you're doing, going back and forth, like, but you know, delete your account in the app and it'll work. It'll send just like a text message. So, um, you know, that's a, that's a big deal being able to do that and communicate. Um, and, you know, there are some spots in Western Wyoming, um, especially Northwest Wyoming, um, anywhere from that Dubois all the way up to, you know, up to, up the Montana border, man, that country is remote. Um, it, it is. And I would highly recommend, highly, highly recommend you have some form of communication. Um, even if it's just the, the ability to send out an I'm okay text, you know, just a standard every day that, Hey, I'm okay. Um, one thing I, I would say though, is once you do like, People, people got used to the idea that you just don't have communication for a long time before our cell phone era. Now, mentally, we're more stressed if we don't hear. So set expectations for your family on how often you're actually going to text, um, you know, because that that can turn into kind of a you know, kind of a challenge too. like. I, you know, I, I said it where it was Zolio. I said it where my dad gets a message, my wife gets a message, I can brand it. 
those are the people that get a message every day that, hey, I'm okay, checking in kind of deal. Um, so, but they're the ones who have the expectation they're going to hear from me once a day. Um, and if I, if my devices are dying, like if I'm running, if I don't have solar power and that sort of thing, I make sure that before everything dies, I let them know, hey, if my devices are, are dying, they're powering down, I'm okay, I've only got two more days in here. Um, so just things like that, just some, that's a very important piece of gear. Um, I've used, personally, I've used a, a Seek Outside tent a whole lot. I like the floorless option. Um, I like the ability to take a stove, especially when I've got stock animals. Um, I'll definitely bring in a stove. It's nice to be able to do that. Um, if I don't have the ability to take in a stove, um, I know these are like ridiculous expensive tents, but I've used Hilleberg a lot. Um, so that's an option. I know there are a few guys on our team who have used the stone glacier tents. Brian Barney uses the um, stone glacier tents really, you know, pretty heavily, um, has done really well with them. So there's, there's some great options out there. If you don't want the, you know, if you absolutely have to have a floor, it's a trade-off, you know, you're going to get a little more muddy if you don't have a floor. And that's just, that's just the trade-off, you know, um, but you get a little bit lighter weight, even with the stove sometimes it's lighter than one of these three slash four season tents. Um, but you know, it, it's all about picking, picking what is best for your circumstances. Um, if you want to be able to, you know, if you want to be able to move, um, and, and not be attached to anything, I would say, do not take llamas, you know, like that's a, that's just one of those, one of those things that's a simple reality. If you have llamas, you've got to make sure that number one, you have feed close and number two, you have the ability to get them water. You know, they don't require nearly as much water as horses, but they still require it. You know, whereas I can take my, um, I use MSR drum dairy bags, um, uh, regularly in the back country. Uh, I've got a six liter and a 10 liter version. Um, 10 liters will get me about two days, uh, of being able to not have to go get water, but I'm, I'm kind of a nerd. I acquire water just every, like, probably about once a day because I'll cross it or something. And I think, Oh, I don't, I don't want to miss out on this opportunity. And it takes five minutes to pull out the pump. If you pack, right. Um, I've been using the Everly stock mainframe, um, quite a bit for the last few years. And I've got the tall version. Um, I've gotten, actually, I've got a, got an updated one that's sitting right here. I got to change out the belt. I changed out the belt for their battleship belt because I liked it a little bit better. Um, so it's a pack that I really enjoy using. I've been using their vapor series the last couple of years. Um, with the hunts I have planned, I'm actually probably going to be using their day pack version a lot more than I'm going to be um, using the backcountry version. Um, unless I get a wild hair and decide to backpack in for elk, we'll, we'll see if that happens. Um, you know, but but all that all that said, those are some of my mainstays. Um, I've got a whole variety of Zamberlin boots. I'm about to write a review on some um, some Kenetrex I'm going to be trying out here pretty soon. So watch for that on Tag Up in the gear reviews section. Um, but, you know, really what it comes down to with boots is fit is king. Um, buy the boots, like, and I'm, I'm kind of a boot nerd. I'm a boot and backpack nerd. So, like, I'm, I'm always the first to raise my hand with an opportunity to do a review for one of those comes in. But fit is king on, on both of those, but boots especially. Like, Zamberlins fit my feet really well, but they take a long time to break in. But they'll last you a really long time. Um, but if you look at... Like I've used Kenetrex, they I have to buy a 12 wide with with most Kenetrex, whereas I wear a 13 with most other brands. So part of it is just going and testing, you know, what fits well. Um, but you know, like I said, I, I really like the the Zamberlins, but there are other there are a lot of good brands out there. But fit is king, and Zamberlin fits me really well. 
Yeah, I, th- I think that's a, a great point, is especially boots. You know, us, uh, my dad, my brother, and I, us Grossnickels, we all wear the same size shoe. Um, but when it comes to hunting boots, we all have a different one. You know, I wear crispy. You know, and my brother wears Amberlands and all this and that. You know, and so it, that's important, um, especially. I, I think you mentioned if you're on your feet all the all the time, you know, fit is king there. And uh, seek outside. Um, you know, you mentioned there, there's different varieties. Uh, what you're depending on, what you need. I've done a lot of research on seek outside. You know, one of these days when I decide, you know. One fall, that's all I'm going to do, some backcountry hunting. And I think that's my, my go-to there. And then, you know, satellite communicator. I know there's a lot out there. Um, you know, I think I need to talk my brother into that just for, you know, like I said, to keep make sure everybody's, in, you know, sane and know that we're all right. And I, yeah. I love the planning. I think that's a huge thing too, you know, to communicate. You know, if you don't hear from me by this time, you know, maybe you should be a little worried, especially if you don't hear me by this time. Yeah, be extremely worried, you know, yeah. so. Uh, I think that's a great, uh, great thing. Uh, again, Tag Hub, you know, Scott, you you write a lot about the gear reviews, um, you know, our uh, blogs about hunting seasons, whatever it might be. Um, so I can't stress it enough. If you're a huge outdoorsman in the uh, Western states, uh, please uh, look into and subscribe to Tag Hub 2.0. Um, you know, hey, we're we're getting kind of in the back half of the podcast. Um, is there anything else you want to add? I know we talked about, you know, your deer article. Um, do you want to talk about the winter? Uh, heck, is there anything? I know a lot of, you know, winter we talk mule deer, but, you know, I, I, I could be wrong. But, I, again, just looking and hearing some of the data, um, some of the winter kill was in kind of like pods around the state of Wyoming. So it wasn't like yeah. everything is gone. You know, I think a huge area. And I think yeah. it's be important to stress is, you know, that Wyoming range mule deer is probably a huge yeah. one to focus on. And so I uh, just want to make that. But, yeah, is there anything you want to add, Scott? I mean, yeah, definitely. That's something to, uh, to look into. Like, um, you know, one of the things that I, I do, do, do here and am working on is, you know, we're, we've got an outfitter database because our subscribers call and ask us about, um, you know, outfitters and things like that. And, you know, full disclosure, that Northeast section of, of the state, you know, there's a lot more private land there. And so you're either paying with a trespass or you're going with an outfitter. You know, that's, that's just kind of how a lot of that, that section of the state works. Um, and, you know, that's just, it's just life. And so talking with some of them, a lot of them are like, well, our deer population is doing pretty good. Our antelope population got hit real hard in, in 17. So we're starting to really get the recovery going from, from that. But they had, you know, they've had several disease pieces that are, that are parts of the equation there. Um, but that was starting to recover and get better. Um, so, you know, we'll see how this plays out in the next few years. But they definitely cut tags back just about everywhere um, because of, especially in the doe fawn category on, on antelope. Um, but it's not every place in the state. Region G and H, and then there are sections south of I-80. That's where they got hammered. Um, our deer here, like in this Bighorn Basin, as well as, you know, over on the other side by Sheridan and that sort of thing, they didn't, they didn't get the, um, they didn't get as much of the the issues was just snow stacking up and staying there and you know and piling up where they couldn't get to food um so that made that made a big difference um you know like one of the things that you have with private land is there's a lot more ag and because there's more ag there's more food that was available for some of these animals that's just that's just the nature of how it works um you know so that was it, it wasn't everywhere where the mule deer got just absolutely absolutely hammered it's it was that wyoming range mule deer herd and then as well as the as the herd south uh, that that lives closer to labarge those two those two areas really got hammered um and then you know i also know that that the area south of uh 
basically from we'll call it you know about midway through the state and west really got hit um you know and that's that's going to be hard it's it's going to take a few years to recover um i don't know how many years i'm going to wait to go back over to the high country i may go scout and just not hunt um you know i and I'm sure my wife, if she, you know, she listens to this podcast, she's like, why would you do that? I was like, well, I like to look at deer. Now I can bring the boys with me. Um, I don't yeah. blame you. I don't blame you at all. <laughs> so, um, you know, but, yeah, but that's, that's the fun part is now, now my kids are getting to the age where they can, they can start coming with me. Um, yeah. Now I don't know if I can get, get them to sit still very long. Um, I may have to find places I can glass where I can go send them to play in the meadow behind me and hopefully not get eaten by a bear. Um, but it's, um, you know, the whole of the state overall, we're doing well. Um, you know, I, I don't want any, I don't want any biologists to think that, um, you know, my article was necessarily an attack on them because I think they do a fantastic job. And at the end of the day, I do really, really honestly believe that they are trying to do what's best for mule deer and for elk and antelope. Um, I, I firmly believe that I've met a lot of them. Um, but unfortunately, one of the things they get hamstrung by is public opinion too. And so, you know, that's why I want to drive conversation about it more than anything else, because a biologist or a warden may feel like, man, we might need to go to limited quota, at least for, for sections of this or figure out how to break up pressure. But if the public says, no, we do not want limited quota, they can't do it. And so it's going to take, in order for us to, if we want to see um, see some change and, and be able to do some things. Um, we have to actually have a conversation on it and be able to talk about it and then also remove some of our emotions and say at the end of the day, what is best for the resource? Um, you know, and, and what is best for the animals that are, that are there. And quite frankly, going to a general or going away from general may not benefit me, but it might benefit the, um, might benefit the deer and then you know i'm a steward for my kids having the opportunity to be able to hunt that and it may take that long before they're able to actually see big deer like what i grew up looking at you know scott i i can't say that any better um you know your article is amazing i just wrote a little um i guess story a little blog for the wyoming wildlife federation and you know that's what i talked about is you know we have to do whatever we can and right now to make sure our the next generation you know my kids as kids your kids as kids can enjoy what we grew up you know loving you know fishing hunting mule deer in western wyoming um i'm glad that you brought up the public opinion piece i think that's huge uh you talk in your article you know the the harvest reports, you know, fill those bad boys out, get those in, that helps them out. Um, you know, and you know, I, I were, like I said, kind of back half of this, but you know, I can't think for your article and hopping on here. Um, I'm glad that your bow's in the picture. I bought a bow last August, still haven't shot it. So if I plan on doing any archery hunting, I better, uh, I better, uh, better start, uh, getting that baby sighted in as it's July 19th. So Scott, again, anything else you want to add? If not, uh, you know, again, thank you. And like I said, Tag Hub 2.0, uh, go subscribe. The app is coming, and it'll be a good resource to all those hunters. Use the, use the discount code Bitter Creek. I'll put that in today. I'll take off like 15%. Well, I appreciate, I appreciate that, Scott. And you know, I told you before the podcast, we just want to promote Wyoming companies. And so uh, we'll get that up on our page when this goes live. And heck, Perfect. we could probably talk hours and hours of hunting stories and whatever. So maybe oh, next yeah. time we can just do a, an episode about some hunting stories. So Let's do it. Awesome. Thanks, Scott. All right. Thanks, Ryan.
Thank you for listening to the Exit 142 podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe wherever you get this podcast and follow Bitter Creek Outdoors on social media, Facebook and Instagram.